Hello and welcome to Volleyball State, a look at the state of volleyball starting in Nebraska and going around the country in six rotations. I'm Jeff Sheldon. And I'm Lincoln Arneal. Nebraska survives a crazy weekend. A couple of matches in the state of Indiana. We'll have all that and our other rotations coming up in just a little bit. First, a little podcast business. You can find us on social media at Volleyball Pod on Twitter. You've got show ideas. you got guest uh, requests. you got some uh, feedback or criticism. Or you hate the sound of our voice. Email us. Let us know at VolleyballState at gmail.com. You can also find all of the great Podcast House media shows. We are proud part of the Podcast House media empire. You can find all the Podcast House media shows at PodcastHouseMedia.com. And if that is not enough, you can find us, converse with us, yell at us individually on social media. Uh, me, I am on Twitter at by Jeff Sheldon, just like the byline B-Y Jeff Sheldon. And you can find me at Lincoln underscore VB as in volleyball. All right. So we have six packed rotations. The first one, we will go deep in depth about Nebraska's win at Purdue and their four set win at Indiana as well. Uh, then we will kind of jump in rotation two, talk about uh, the action around the Big Ten. We got weekend number two in Big Ten. And then in rotation three, we got a special guest. We got Lee Feinswag of VolleyballMag.com. We talked to him about the current state of the volleyball. He was actually at Nebraska, both the Nebraska matches this weekend. So we'll get some great insight from him about the Huskers and also the state of volleyball across the country. And speaking of that, we'll do a quick recap of other significant matches that happened across the country this weekend. We'll close up uh, rotation five. We'll talk about Nebraska's new assistant coach, Jordan Larson. And finally, rotation six, we will preview the Michigan road trip. Well, Nebraska will take on the Spartans and Wolverines. Rotation one, though, we start uh, where you would expect us to start. It was a crazy weekend, Lincoln, in college volleyball. And I think you're starting to see the second weekend of conference play is where you start to see some upsets happen because teams are playing multiple matches in a weekend. Um, they're they're starting to play teams that that maybe they overlook a little bit. Nebraska, I don't think they overlooked either of these programs that they played this weekend. But the Huskers had to survive a five set thriller in West Lafayette on Friday night, beating Purdue in five, their first five setter of the year. And then uh, one night later, had to go down to Bloomington and in front of a school record crowd in um, Indiana's new Wilkinson Hall gym. Um, looked like they were maybe going to have to go five again. Instead, they turned things around and beat Indiana in four after dropping game one. It was Nebraska's first road trip of the season where they had to play on back-to-back nights. Big test for this young team. And we start in West Lafayette where the Huskers um, pulled it out in five against uh, Purdue. Harper Murray led the way with 21 kills and Ted Diggs, another double-double for her. Merritt Beeson had an amazing weekend. She might be your Big Ten player of the week except for potentially this young lady from Northwestern who had a great match today in their win over Purdue. Um, Beeson, 19 kills, hit 368 and really brought it defensively with five blocks. Uh, This doesn't need to be a a read-through of the box score, Lincoln, but Nebraska had to find a way to pull it out against Purdue and really ended up turning up the defense to do it, I think. Yeah, and Nebraska just looked out of it to start. I don't know whether it was playing in a road environment, um, playing in the Big Ten road match or Holloway. Holloway gyms also, I mean, they had a sellout there too and also has an intimidating home court. It's uh, tiny, right? They're just on top of you. It's real loud. Well, I I swear a couple of times that Lainey Choboy was mere inches away from the student section when she was serving. She goes pretty far back there and the student section was probably breathing on the back of her neck, literally. So uh, just, I mean, just a very intimidating atmosphere and just 
the timing was off and just Nebraska looked out of sync and fell behind. I mean, Purdue has a lot of weapons. They have uh, Chloe Shincoin. They have Eva Hudson, who had uh, 18 and 19 kills, respectively. So they, they have a very good offense, too. And Nebraska knew what they were going to do, but just nerves or whatever it was, Nebraska just looked out of sync to, to start to. But like you said, defense really kind of, and I think they'd started to serve a little bit better as the match wore on, too. What were your impressions of that first set that Purdue came out and yeah. really took it from took it to Nebraska? What it looked like to me, it was it looked like a young team playing their first road match in a hostile environment. And I know this team went on the road and played uh, and beat Stanford and Maples earlier in the year. But as you know, we're going to talk to Lee Feinswag about in in just a little bit. Playing in that gym at Stanford, it is not an intimidating environment. It's mm-hmm. it's going to play squash at the country club. School was not in session. Um, there, there were 3000 people there, but it's a big gym. It's their basketball arena. So the fans weren't on top of you. This was a different thing. This was a true hostile road environment in the big 10 and things can kind of get away from you pretty quick. I've seen it happen to Nebraska and West Lafayette before. What I remember about this is Nebraska's first play of the night with off a perfect pass. Um, Bergen Riley set back row, which ended up as a tip and an easy free ball to, to Purdue. And I don't know if that was a called play coming out of the huddle or if it was just what she did, but it looked like Bergen Riley had a little bit of a slow start in this match. She was missing her middles um, fairly often in that first set and, and Purdue just ran out and, and ended up stealing game one. Nebraska would eventually turn it around offensively. You know, they hit 311 in this match. It was another 300 hitting night. So it's hard to critique the offense um, too much. And the defense eventually came around as well, but just like as we're going to talk about in a little bit, the early going for Indiana it was just kind of turning Nebraska's back row into a shooting gallery against Eva Hudson and Chloe Shacoin, who were kind of going over, around, through, and off of Nebraska's block, which took a little bit of while to to figure out how exactly they wanted to play things. Yeah. And Nebraska, after they dropped that first set, they looked like they were in trouble again in that second set. They were down 19 to 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also then 21 to 18, a couple points later, they cut one point off that. But Nebraska got their act together. Uh, went on a was a six zero run, six six zero run there, and and really kind of went went like I said went from a twenty one eighteen deficit to having match point there too. Uh, and one of the key key things that common theme throughout the whole weekend, John Cook got a challenge to go their way. I think they gave Hudson a kill that would have made it twenty three twenty two. They challenged it, overturned, ended up being an error. Uh, error given to Hudson there where her hit went long. So they gave Nebraska set points and after a, ser- a, sad- a service error, Nebraska closed it out. Yeah, this is going to be a recurring theme of the weekend is Nebraska pulling out the green card and and winning challenges at very pivotal times. And Lincoln, I did not realize, and maybe I, I knew this at the very start of the year, I hadn't thought about it in a while, that they changed green card rules this year. It's no longer you just get three challenges before the fifth set, regardless of whether you're successful or not. And I forget what exactly the rule is, but I was joking the other night. It seemed like, you know, they're giving them away now, like breadsticks at Olive Garden. They're, they're free as long as you keep winning them. Yeah. It used to be like, kind of like the NFL challenge rule too, where you get two. And if you get both of those, right, you get a third one. Now, essentially it's more like the tennis challenge rule where you can keep challenging until you get two wrong. Um, and then still you get, you get an extra one in the fifth set, but, uh, you, you I mean, that's why Cook can keep challenging them because he kept mm-hmm. getting them right. So he still had challenges to play with. And he, he was four for four on the first two sets against Purdue and a couple of key, 
uh, key moments, especially that one late in the uh, second set that put Nebraska to set point that helped them close that close it out. So, yeah, Huskers down 21 18 in game two before they go on a 6 0 run. They eventually win game two to even things up 1 1. They control game three. And then it looked like Nebraska was going to close this out in four against Purdue. They were up 19 16. But then Purdue went on a run of their own, a 9 0 run for the Boilermakers. They closed this out. Um, Nebraska was kind of stuck in a rotation that, that was giving them some problems. It was a, a 5 1 rotation, which means that the setter, Bergen Riley, was in the front row. And she was up there with Harper Murray and Andy Jackson, two outstanding offensive options. But Lincoln, what what I occurred to me on the rewatch is um, Purdue with their with their great um, libero Maddie Shermerhorn serving was kept serving Nebraska short, which pulled Laney Choboy up into the into the offensive pattern lanes. They were they were mm-hmm. clogging up Nebraska's really they were clogging up Nebraska's slide. So Jackson didn't have her right approach to run the slide, and that got Nebraska out of sorts offensively. It was brilliant strategizing by Dave Shondell to call that. And Purdue came back with a nine Oh run and, and ended up forcing a game five. Yeah. And, and the whole thing started with a service error. Toroboy had, had to serve. Nebraska was like up, like you said, uh, 1916 service error. Nebraska had 12 for the match too. So another common theme of the weekend too, was just missing serves. I know Nebraska needs to get serves in. Yeah. yeah like you like, like to serve tough, but then if you're, if you're, Given the other team points there, that that doesn't help too. And so during that nine zero run, uh, the service error, uh, and then Harper Murray just kind of I don't know if he ran out of gas. She had uh, three, no, sorry, four different uh, different uh, hitting errors in that. And then Jackson also had a hitting error as well too. So just Nebraska, like you said, their offensive offensive patterns were messed up, and uh, they're kind of forcing some things too, and just looked look, looked out of. Uh, out of touch too. And I will say that the, the set ended on a double challenge too, that both of them were successful too. They, I've uh, never seen this before. Yeah. yeah. Where two coaches challenged something on the same play and they were both right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think cook, cook initially challenged uh, Murray. I think her attack um, went was successfully went off the Purdue block at a touch at the net. But then Dave Shondell came back and challenged saying, uh, I think, uh, there's a pancake dig. There's a pancake dig that that Nebraska. I think Rodriguez did not get a hand underneath her. They she got credit for a pancake dig, but it wasn't actually touched the floor. So uh, both cha- both coaches challenged, got right, and uh, that really set set up. The, so Nebraska loses the fourth set, goes the first fifth set of the entire season. They've only dropped three sets coming into this match, and they had all been set three. So Nebraska is going to their first ever fifth set, and after Purdue. Um, Purdue uh, gives and Purdue scores the first two, but then Nebraska just takes over. And really, it was Merritt Beeson. She had uh, mm-hmm. one, two, three, uh, three different kills there too, uh, and plus a block that really just kind of um, established established the, uh, the the tone for that entire um, entire entire set. Yeah, Nebraska goes on an eight two run after they fall behind two to nothing. Uh, to go up eight, four at the changeover. Um, some big plays from Bergen Riley in game five. She, she wins a joust that gets Nebraska point and then Purdue commits, you know, what I think is a pretty big error. Bergen Riley sends not quite a free ball, but just a, a roll shot. And uh, when your setters play in the third touch, you know, your possession didn't go according to plan. Purdue can't control her roll shot out of system and it drops for another Nebraska point. Yeah. And that was when it was nine, eight. So Purdue had a little bit of a uh, momentum to get back into it. And that Bergen Riley with, with, with two kills there too. And then down the stretch, Harper Murray shakes off whatever had been going wrong with her. And she, she scored Nebraska's last four points 
all on kills too. So um, yeah, Huskers were up 12, 10 and then, and then Harper Murray just decided, okay, I've had enough of West Lafayette. Let's, let's get back to the bus and get on the road to Bloomington. So she puts down Nebraska's last four points. Um, Huskers end up pulling it out in five, a couple other um, numbers from the Purdue match. Andy Jackson had a really good night, 12 kills, seven blocks. Even if she, you know, didn't hit up in the four hundreds, five hundreds, like she has um, the last uh, through most of her, the start to her Husker career, Becca Alec, her her partner in the middle, nine kills, hitting 500 with eight blocks. So the Huskers on the night outblocked Purdue uh, 15 to 12, outhit Purdue 311 to 229. Uh, Nebraska's on a run now uh, after the Indiana match, I believe, where they've hit better than 300 in seven out of their last eight matches. So this Husker attack is really you know spreading its wings and developing. Against Indiana the next night, Lincoln, though, it was Nebraska's defense that that really couldn't get itself figured out, I feel like. I, I have never seen a Nebraska team who took until late game three to end up with a block. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that, I mean, you knew, we, we'd seen some of this earlier too, I think with like Minnesota. Minnesota was very pin heavy, so the middle blocker had to go from pin to pin. But it was just, Indiana was hitting around or through Nebraska's block. I mean, Nebraska, and or and I should say, Indiana was doing a good job of covering the block. I mean, Nebraska did get their mm-hmm. hands on a couple couple of balls and uh, and send them back on Indiana's court. But uh, it was just very odd that Nebraska wasn't getting the job done. And I should say uh, also Becca Alec was pulled in that late in that first set more for offensive reasons too, but mm-hmm. and I don't know how much they were missing their fire, but Maggie Mendelson came in to play at middle blocker, but it was just, it, it was just a strange night that Nebraska's block, like you said, didn't and Nebraska only ended up with two blocks, the entire match. Mm-hmm. Indiana also really kind of set the tone with their offense in that first, first set. Too. And it was yeah. almost like we were seeing deja vu from the Purdue match. Yeah, Nebraska, you know, before before we pull all of the fire alarms on this match, Nebraska does beat Indiana 3-1. And if you just, you know, take a quick glance at the box score, it, it all looks, you know, not that bad for Nebraska, especially Mara Beeson with a career-high 22 kills. She hits 400 plus 12 digs. Um, she had eight of those kills in the pivotal game three as well. Harper Murray had 17 kills and hits 368. So another great weekend for her. Um against indiana yeah the huskers hit 338 and so when you look at those numbers you're like all right you know a nice little day at the office for the huskers but this match for all the world looked like the huskers were about to go down 0-2 against indiana and another run of green cards late in game two swung this match back in nebraska's favor indiana came out on fire in game one they hit 351 nebraska's block you know isn't even touching indiana and i think that's a great testament the Indiana setter, Cameron Hayworth, who we talked about last week, Lincoln, is one of the better setters in this conference. She was firing this ball everywhere. Great tempo, great location. And what I noticed, Nebraska's pin blockers couldn't get all the way out to the pin. And so Indiana could just pull them off their hands out of bounds or go down the line and find open court space. So Nebraska's pin blockers were not getting out to the pin because Cam Hayworth was running a great offense that had Indiana rocking and rolling in game one. For sure, yeah. I mean, Tatum Avery had a uh, sorry. Avery Tatum had a great match too. Savannah, don't you love those names where you can't tell which yeah. is the first name, which is the last name? Uh, Savannah Colehead also had a great game in the match. Morgan Morgan Geddes had a really good start to the match. He kind of tailed off as the match went on, but uh, again, I mean, it looked like Nebraska was in trouble too. Um, I mean, what was Indiana was up. 
up late in that second set and looked like they were poised to take over too. But again, like we mentioned, the challenges came in. Uh, John Cook went uh, four for four in challenges in the second set. The first one happened uh, kind of midway, mid, mid, midway through uh, Alonzo uh, uh was called for a tip, uh, but uh, it looked like uh, Murray got her hand underneath, did get the pancake dig, and then Choboy had a diving save to keep the ball alive. But the refs st- ruled that it was down, so it wasn't a complete flip-flop of points, so they just replayed that point, which Murray got the kill. So, uh, cue Rashid Wallace and the uh, ball don't lie uh, meme there, too. So. <laughs> the, the big challenges came late in this set. So, so to set it up for you, Indiana um, gets a kill to tie game two, 2020. You know, a few points away from putting Nebraska down 0-2. Um, that was on a shot by Geddes that was ruled in. Nebraska challenges. Um, and it's ruled out. So that's overturned, puts Nebraska up 21-19. Indiana comes back to tie it 22-22 when Merritt Beeson uh, hits a ball long out of bounds. Indiana originally gets the point to go up 23-22. Nebraska challenges again, and a replay showed that there was a micro-touch on the ball. So um, I, I actually, I'm sorry, that came at Indiana being up 23-22. So that kill um, ruling ties it 23-23. And, and Lincoln, we've got a couple more that come here at the very end of the set that, that could have gone either way. Yeah, to the next rally, too. Again, it looks like Indiana gets gets the kill. Morgan Geddes gets it, gets a swing. So Indiana, once again, oh, wait, we got set point. We got set point. The crowd starts going wild. John Cook goes to the challenge card, plays it. Uh, and, and just you're watching, like, what is he challenging? But then you should the watch. The ball was the clearly in, yeah. Yeah, the ball, but the ball just, just fractionally grazed the antenna. And uh, it, the officials, a very quick review for how, how reviews usually go. So good job mm-hmm. on them and the players and the coaches. They all saw it uh, and instantly when when the ball was rolled down. They they signaled the, the for Cook to uh, challenge that. That gives Nebraska again. That, that's why flips it again then, too. So Nebraska has is up 24-23. And then Harper Murray delivers a back row kill to end it. So it, it just seemed like Nebraska escaped by the skin of its teeth. And really fortunate that, I mean, fortunate that the green cards existed too, but they did what they had to survive. Right. Jeff, how how did you feel like the end of that changed the complexion of the match? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's such a huge difference mentally from if you're Indiana thinking, okay, we're up 2-0 in our loud and rowdy gym against the number two team in the country. We've played our tails off in these first two sets and we've got a 2-0 lead, but it's such a huge difference between being up 2-0 to going to the break tied 1-1. And it looked like that kind of took the wind um, out of Indiana's sails. Nebraska comes back uh, and and pretty much um, polishes things off in games three and four. They, they win them handily. Um, Nebraska's offense, I think, uh, finally started to click. Even though Nebraska's defense, you know, still was not outstanding. They did not get their first block in this match till late in game three. But you started to get... Merritt Beeson, Harper Murray, taking these big swings, not letting Nebraska um, lose this one. And, and Nebraska's hitting percentages started to tick up as the match went along. Yeah. And I should say John Cook also got another challenge. I think it was, that, it was, it was at one, one in the uh, start of the fourth set or sorry, the third set won it again to go up. To he, feel, he must feel like he's on a hot run at he like the, with, the blackjack yeah, table. Playing with house money. Merritt Beeson really stepped up that third set too. She had eight kills on 11 swings and really kind of powered the offense. And not only did I mean, Nebraska's first block came at 10-4 in that third set, but Nebraska's first ace also came at 17-9 in that third set. So just hitting, I mean, Nebraska finished with 16 service errors, which 
not yeah. ideal. Let's let's talk about that for just a second. I know I am someone who I, I've said before, I've said on this show, a lot of times if you are going to serve aggressively, this is the cost of doing business, um, accepting some service errors. But when you look at how many errors Nebraska had this weekend compared to Purdue and Indiana, sometimes the cost of doing is just too high to do the business. You know, you're, you're, you're giving away too many free points. Harper Murray for as great as she played offensively had a, had a stinker from the service line against Indiana. She had seven service errors. And I know John cook was asked on his post game radio show. I think Lauren asked him this, like, why did you continue to let her serve? And and the coaches wanted to let her continue to work through it. But I mean, with Nebraska, it seems like you're, those service errors are usually going long. So at least you're making the other team make a decision on whether or not they're going to play them. It's the ones that get bombed into the net that really, you know, kind of make you drop your head because you're just giving away free points at that point. But I don't know at what point Nebraska you know, needs to rethink things if early on they're they're not serving well, whether they're bringing in different serving specialists or they're just saying, hey, right now, let's try to win this with our block and our defense. Like, just lollipop it over and, and let's get it in. Yeah, and that was everyone. I mean, Harper did catch the headlines with seven of them, but Lexi Rodriguez had three airs. Laney Choboy had a couple. Uh, Merritt Beeson and, and Kenny Orr both had one. So every every, every server missed on one, which, you, you like you said, you tolerate that. And it's, Nebraska has a very aggressive service style where they're trying to get it over the top of the net, but lower than the antenna. So that's, that's a, what a two mm-hmm. foot, three foot window where they're trying to get their serves. And it doesn't take much to get that fractionally long or hit into the net. So yeah, they're trying to struggle. serve a real flat trajectory and, and, and yeah. get it on the back row players. You know, it's not a jump serve, it's a jump float. So it's supposed to move a little bit laterally, but you, you miss hit that just a little bit and it's flying long. I know we're, we're trying to get into rotation two here real quick. One other player I do want to mention, you know, we, we watched both Ali Batenhorst and Lindsey Krause get turns at that L2 position this weekend. Lindsey Krause was healthy, um, but did not play on Friday night against Purdue, or at least Ali Batenhorst got the, the lion's share of the, of the time there. Um, Batenhorst, I believe also started on Saturday against Indiana. Is that right? Um, Sorry, I put I put you in something we weren't prepared to answer. But Krause, my point is, Lindsey Krause yes. had a nice night against Indiana. Came in with nine kills, including six in that um, decisive game four. On six swings, I, I mentioned that too. Yeah, went six for six, hit a thousand in uh, in game four. So Lindsey Krause, who has always kind of been my favorite in that battle between between Krause and, and Baton Horst, even though Ali's done some really good things this season, um, comes in nine kills against Indiana and really helps Nebraska out in game four. Yeah, it, it, that's the one thing that Nebraska still has to figure out too is to get figure out who wants to be own, own that L two position and not have to worry about if they struggle who are they pulling. But but Cook was very was very quick with the trigger and actually went back and forth too. I think Krause started, um, but Baton Horse came in for her quite early. Um, yeah, look at my notes here. Um, yeah, ba- Baton Horst, uh came in. Um, and then, but then went back. Yeah, to, they both got playing back, back time for yeah. sure. Yeah. So yeah, it, I mean, you know, if you're Nebraska, you're, you're wanting someone to just jump up and grab that L2 job by the throat. Uh, nobody has done it yet, and and this goes all the way back to last season. You know, both of them were were trading playing time as well. So Nebraska's got answers, I think, kind of at every position except what that L2 one is right now. And if Nebraska gets you know, even uh, upper decent production, average production from the L2 spot, they're going to be a favorite to make a, a deep run into um, December and also make a make a run at this Big Ten conference, which we saw some some crazy matches this weekend as we move into rotation, too. 
Yeah. To, uh, I mean, we're, like you said, we're kind of getting the, the, uh, the meat of the schedule as well to figure out, uh, what, uh, who are going to be some of the lead teams. I mean, one of the, I think ones that caught the most attention, uh, you, you teased this a little bit earlier too. I mean, Purdue's coming off a very tough battle against ne- Nebraska on Friday night. Uh, and then they host Northwestern. Northwestern's kind of middle of the pack. They got some decent wins, um, but nothing really kind of to really hang their hat on yet. But Northwestern comes out and pulls off a reverse sweep against um, against the Boilermakers in, in West Lafayette. And the big headliner of that, uh, Julia Sankakomo? Sankakomo is what I would, how I would you. say it. Uh, she is a transfer from Santa Clara. She went off for 33 kills on 64 attacks. So there's another one that uh, Merritt Beeson had a great weekend in, in line for maybe a Big Ten player of the week. But uh, when you get yeah, 33 kill performance. Hard to overlook. Well, and that match too, I'm Purdue won handily in games one and two. They didn't let Northwestern break 20 points. So it looked like the boat race was on in West Lafayette. Northwestern comes back and I think it's a, it's a deuce game in game three. It's either 27, 25 or 28, 26. I'm not looking at the numbers right now. Um, and then dominates game four. It was like 25, 11 or 25, 14. Mm-hmm. It was something like that. And, and then wins a tight one, I think 15, 12 in game five. So Northwestern, you know, goes into the boiler box and I don't know if Nebraska beats Purdue twice, but you know, this seem this is totally Purdue from the way I view the Purdue program. They will play like gangbusters against some of the best teams in this league and then turn around against a mid tier or lower tier team, like a, like a Northwestern and either go five or lose it. And so I don't know, you know, what Dave Shondell has to do with this group to get them together, but you know, I, I wasn't that surprised to see that because this is what happens to Purdue. They play up, they play down. They're like a heart monitor. You never always totally know what you're going to get from them. And that's the one of the problems of being so young, too. They don't have the experience to deal. I mean, I don't know if it's hangover from an emotional loss against Nebraska. That may be uh, just, I don't know, Husker bias that I'm used to watching. That's so a Husker never thinking that's the problem. But also just playing a lot of young players, too, uh, that may they got a freshman setter as well. And just a couple out there, young people that are playing big roles that just the inconsistency to keep that focus and keep that drive match in, match out makes a difference. And I will point out too, Dave Shondell is tired of the challenge card because the, because match point came on a reversal uh, as well too. So as uh, he, I mean, Purdue, sorry, Northwestern had a couple points buffer, but uh, they won the match point did come on a, yeah. a challenge play that was reversed in Northwestern's favor. Well, to that, I would say uh, try being right more often. And I know that, you know, Indiana fans who watch that match on Saturday night probably feel the same way uh, about Nebraska. And like, you know, is John Cook has the voodoo with the challenge card. No, they just they just see things that happen. And so go ahead. And if the cameras are decent enough, the, the refs are going to pick it up as well. I think what we're seeing from this weekend, Lincoln, is like there's very clear top tier established Penn State, Nebraska, Wisconsin, you know, Penn State swept Illinois and then went on the road with a really good win at Minnesota um, on Saturday night in four. Jess Mruzik, the I'm, I know I'm butchering that pronunciation. Mruzik is, uh, is, is a Michigan transfer. She was the number two recruit in the country when she came into Michigan. She's an exceptional outside hitter, and she had 21 kills uh, for Penn State, which hit 346 against Minnesota. You don't see that too often, and they they we're never in danger of losing that match. So I think Wisconsin, which got two sweeps this weekend over, let's see, Ohio state on Wednesday. And then Sunday um, they swept Michigan, who is real, real bad this year. 
Um, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Penn State, I say, are your top tier. And then that Indiana team that we saw Nebraska struggle with on Saturday is right there kind of with the with the Ohio States, the Purdue's, maybe the Minnesota's this year fighting in that second tier, um, fourth, fifth, sixth. That Indiana team, I saw Lincoln, they they swept Iowa on Friday night. That's a tournament team, I think. Yeah. And the, the thing about them, too, is they got a lot of depth and they they, they serve aggressively. A lot of jump serves we saw. And then Ramsey Gary, who's a freshman libero, she looked like the real deal and really kind of uh, changes their the look of their defense. So I, I wouldn't be wouldn't be surprised if they I mean, we saw last week they they easily took care of business against Illinois. Um, if they kind of find themselves up in the, that, that second group of second tier of teams as well, too. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. That's our look at the Big Ten. We're going to look around the country here in just a little bit in rotation four. But first, we got a treat for you. We have a conversation with Lee Feinswag, a longtime volleyball insider, uh, former editor and publisher of VolleyballMag.com. And so it was a great time, Lincoln, sitting down with Lee. And we move on to rotation three. We have our special guest this week, Lee Feinswag of VolleyballMag.com. We welcome Lee. Lee just returned today, Sunday. He was in Indiana all weekend, saw a bunch of both Nebraska matches this weekend. So, uh, Lee, thanks for joining us and uh, welcome to the Volleyball State. Fired up about it because I know how much your audience is so into volleyball. And uh, these days, who isn't? It's so cool how amazing everywhere you go, people in our sport are so excited about it and people not in our sport are starting to get excited about it. It's good. It's good for guys like us. Yeah. Well, it seems like every week we're talking about a new school that broke their, their home attendance record. We've got BYU, we've got Louisville. I, f- I forget it. you know, Nebraska put it out of the stratosphere a couple yeah. of weeks ago, in, but it Indiana like, did on Saturday night. That's right. Exactly. Wisconsin and Marquette are drawing 17,000 people. I mean, as someone who's been involved in this sport for a long time, Lee, and, and put a lot of your own, you know, interest, a lot of your own money into growing it. What does this feel like to you to kind of see the sport take off like this in a year like this? Well, it's kind of cool. But by the way, you mentioned that Wisconsin Marquette match. Do you realize that that was the single biggest volleyball crowd ever, except for the outdoor football stadium match? That was the biggest crowd in American yeah. volleyball history. And it was like an afterthought, you know, but to your point, um, it's, it's kind of cool because we bought the magazine um, seven years ago and we did it because it was a passion play. And we thought, you know, we could make it a sustainable business or at least uh, it's just not always being the United way. Well, I tell people all the time that our sports on an up escalator in every possible way. And it's not just um, NCAA women's indoor, which is, you know, mostly what, what the three of us are focusing on and, and, and enjoy the most. But I mean, you know, this weekend, um, Taryn Cloth and Kristen Nuss took silver medal at Par- the Paris Elite, a fantastic big beach tournament. And they're our favorites to probably medal in the Paris Olympics. And, um, uh, boys volleyball might be the fastest growing youth sport in America right now. You know, we've got NCAA men's indoor, which, you know, you guys, you know, mm-hmm. put out of your consciousness because you have other things to do. But I mean, in, in our little world, it's a big part of the spring. And then, girls club and boys club and high school. And I mean, I could go on and on, but man, what's happening in NCAA women's indoor, especially this season 
for a lot of reasons. It's just a perfect storm and it's really good. And especially for those of us who are like literally invested in the game, like you just said, you know. One of the things you kind of started this year was uh, a brand new media poll of volleyballmag.com is kind of organizing too. What was the impetus to kind of start that and why was the timing right to get it off the ground this year? Because we wanted to further boost Lincoln Arneal's career and get <laughs> Why not? Um, people uh, had been asking me that for years. A lot of coaches over the years, two in, in particular, Kelly Sheffield from Wisconsin and uh, Jared Elliott from uh, Texas, who were guys who were always thinking of ways to grow the game. There are others who, uh, you know, Brandon Rosenthal at Lipscomb, go go Lippy, you know, and uh, people just for example, people like that. And they were like, uh, you know, you should do a media poll. And, you know, the truth of it was there probably weren't, you know, three or four years ago, there weren't enough media people who followed it as much more that more so than just on a regional basis. And now there's, there are so many, I mean, you look at the dozen voters that we have and everybody on there really is into it and it's really cool. So to your point, I didn't want to do it before the um, preseason was over. Cause you know, the ABCA poll is just, and, and, and I don't want to say this in a way to, come down on the ABCA guys, but I mean, the co not all the coaches vote. A lot of them have their director of ops vote or they have their SIDs vote for them. And there's no way when you're coaching that you can follow all that we follow. There's just no mm -hmm. way because you're so dialed in on your team. Good yeah. example would be, uh, I want to say Washington state was number 22 in the first poll. And I was like, I laugh in your general direction because I knew <laughs> they were better than that. You know, they're, they're And you know, I'm going to vote them uh, two or three for this week. I and mean, they just won out of Oregon. Mm -hmm. I, I, Jen Greeny, the coach there said, uh, you know, she's coming on a, a video that we do on Mondays with uh, me and Emily. Even I said, you cost me a thousand dollars today. She, how? I said, because now I have to book that trip. I was talking about to come watch you guys, and, uh, <laughs> you know, between airfare hotel and uh, rental car and, and seeing if Washington, the state of Washington actually has beer as well. Um, you know, it'd be probably be over a thousand. The time, the time was now. And truth, truth to the link in that week, I just had kind of had an epiphany. I just was like, all right, Let's do it. I can pull this together. And Lincoln and everybody else who joined in, it was fantastic. And uh, we have poll number two coming out Monday. Yes. Well, with, with Jarrett and Kelly Sheffield and me and Lincoln, it's all the bald guys that are just pushing this sport forward, just dragging it by the skin of their teeth. So you're welcome. <laughs> well, Lee, you saw both Nebraska matches in person this weekend, Purdue and Indiana. What, what were your yeah. impressions just of, of the Huskers seeing them up close and personal? God, there's so many things at play there. The first was, you know, John Cook and Jalen and the staff and Kelly and everybody could have told those kids going into the Purdue match Friday, look, you don't realize what it's going to be like going on the road in the Big Ten and playing in Holloway. And, and and I can't imagine they didn't have that conversation. It's going to be, you know, they wouldn't have used an Ollie Frazier mat, uh, reference because the girls would have gone, what? But, you know, the truth of it is you go into a place like that and you get punched right in the mouth, figuratively speaking, mm -hmm. in a volleyball sense. And you know, maybe they were saying, yeah, oh, yeah, we're ready. We know it's the Big Ten and whatever. And it, it was big girl open for business volleyball and in front of an environment that they hadn't been in either. You know, Stanford's great. Nebraska went to Stanford, but you put 3000 people in Maples Pavilion and it's kind of like, you know, hello, 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 hello. You know, <laughs> so this was their first time in that environment. Um, they mostly did as well or better than I thought they would. Now, you have to quantify everything with what you say about Nebraska because they are undefeated 
and they are young. And so the combination of the two is most impressive. And just the, the pure physicality of some of their players is most impressive. But you can see that the the level of concentration and focus that you need point in and point out to not only win the Big Ten, but to win the national championship is something that they've still got to develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of interesting things at play there. Um, uh, you know, for example, rotating um, Ali Batenhorst and Lindsey Krause as your outside hitters. They they seem to be okay with it. I mean, I was looking specifically at the ones who weren't playing, like when Lindsey wasn't playing or Ali wasn't playing, their body language was good and they were rooting for each other and they stayed happy. And that's a, that's a really, really important thing. Um, the other thing about them is that when they um, have their moments, you know, I use a basketball analogy. You got a team that's a crappy basketball team and your offense is going nowhere, but you get that one kid who can get open and hit the three pointer and all's right with the world. They have Lexi Rodriguez. There are times when nothing is right for Nebraska, but they have Lexi. And so she makes a save that is just ridiculous, or she makes a second ball out of system set, which she's fabulous at and saves everything. So um, that was a really long winded answer of giving you the f- first response to the first question. <laughs> yeah. What I mean, I assume you watch them on TV in previous matches too. What did you see in person that doesn't show up on TV or you can't see until you're in the arena watching them point by point? I don't think you get the full picture of how athletically superior Harper Murray is to you see her in person. You can watch her on TV and go, Oh, she jumps really high and she's quick. No, she is remarkable. Her foot speed, her sense of the game, her overall athleticism. And you look at her and she's so young and skinny. And she's going to fill out and become even stronger. And you think about how scary that'll be for the people trying to block or dig her. Um, she makes mistakes, but she's a high risk, high reward type of athlete too. She, she, she gets service errors, but she serves aggressively. She gets hitting errors because she hits really aggressively. I mean, she's not, she's not going up there to, you know, go to any, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Patty cake. You know, she, she's got a great roll mm-hmm. shot. She knows how to tip, but she's, she's not going up there for that. She's, she's, she's all out. So she, uh, for example, um, you guys know that, you know, we send 12 players to the Olympics and you know how special you have to be to make that team. She's mm-hmm. the one player on the team who could go to the Olympics. There are great players on this Nebraska team. who are going to have great college careers and great pro careers, but they're not going to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. She, she could. Yeah. Well, 28 might be too early, might be 32, you know. Um, I'll be long out of it by then. I'll wish her well <laughs> Way to go, you know, but, uh, but, uh, um, and then the idea too, in that Purdue match, how many freshmen there were. I mean, Chloe, Chloe Chicoin. Oh my gosh. You know, liberally listed at five foot 10, mm-hmm. five, nine with shoulders that go out to here and a waist that comes down to here and thick legs and can jump to the moon and play. Um, they're just, and those two are real good friends who played, uh, internationally together before and had great club, club rivalries. So, um, uh, I guess, Lincoln, uh, to, to just finish the thought, um, uh, they, other than that, they pretty much were what I was expecting. Um, Bergen Riley's obviously very good. She sets an absolutely beautiful ball. She anticipates extremely well. Um, she's got, she's got a lot to learn, I think, defensively and in the big picture. But my gosh, for a freshman, she's so, so good. Yeah. Have you ever seen, I mean, not just one match, but, two matches ever have so many green cards. I mean, I think John cook 
pulled 10 and I, I think both Indiana and Purdue had about two each on them. And a lot of them were, were correct. I mean, have you ever, ever seen so many green cards one weekend? Cook is amazing. He has like a, a, a both a sixth sense and good trust from his players. Like, for example, yesterday at Indiana, there was a touch on Indiana and the kid was like, no, no, I didn't touch it. Challenge it, coach. And they called the touch. You know, so the kid let the coach down, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. It was one the one late in the. Uh, um, was it this? I can't remember which set it was. Must be yeah, the second set that where, where they said, no, the ball hit the antenna and there was no way it hit the antenna. You know, and he, 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 he's like, okay. And he challenged and, you know, it had grazed the antenna and he was mm-hmm. five. I think it was five for five before yeah. he missed. It. Yeah. Which in is, the, uh, yeah. In the, in the post game radio comments, Cook credited, um, his, his volunteer assistants, like the, the practice mm-hmm. players who were all men's yeah. volleyball players. And he says them and Jalen Reyes are all used to seeing the game at a much faster speed than uh, he is, or most of the people who just watch the women's games, he goes, they see everything. So they're the first ones off the bench saying, yeah, that hit the antenna that there was a net call. And so he gave his assistants a lot of credit for seeing that stuff. Yeah. No, his instincts on those things. And, and since we, they started replay have been fantastic. I mean, he's just got that extra sense on that. That's uh, really good. What's funny about him, though, is that he makes the every time he wins one, he gets mad at the referee afterwards. Like, how could you have missed that? You well, made me use a green card really, on this really fast. I mean, that antenna play was right down the line from where I was sitting. Never dawned on me that it might have touched the antenna when, when mm-hmm. it came, you know, for example. I mean, look, they, they they break those videos down frame by frame. So slowly you still can't tell if it was a touch on the block. Mm-hmm. So. You know, well, I have to think that that part of this is, uh, you know, the result of of the game just being more physical than maybe it was, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe as early as as five years ago. And, and Cook talks about this a lot, too. Just the level of athleticism in the game seems different than than it did maybe 10 years ago. Is that something that you've seen as you followed this sport now for you know several decades? 100 percent. You know, back in the day when I when I was a kid, long before you guys were born, you know, the little the five foot four guy played shortstop. Right. Um, the point guard was always a little guy. And then you had six, nine Magic Johnson revolutionized the game as a point guard. And then you had six foot four Derek Jeter, you know, be the one of the greatest shortstops in history. Just for example, well, Wisconsin right now is playing Julio Orzol at Libero. She's a six footer who can jump out of the gym, mm-hmm. you know, for example. And you look just look at the size and strength of some of these kids. I mean, you know, for example, like a, a Nebraska's team, Becca Alec, for one, that's a, that's a big, strong girl. I mean, you look at the players from, from Nebraska who do really well. They're not, you don't go, uh, some of them, you're not like physically imposing specimen. Take, take uh, Sarah Franklin. That was at Wisconsin. I mean, she's a linebacker who hits the ball, you know, mm-hmm. and you see that around the country at, at, at so many levels. And then how tall and how high, uh, blockers jump. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And um, so to your point, it's just everybody, we're getting bigger and stronger as a sports society from top to bottom, except in soccer. For sure. <laughs> For sure. So, I mean, you kind of mentioned that I mean, there's this new breed of player. Who are some of the best, better players that you've seen? Not just I mean maybe outside the Big Ten, maybe maybe Nebraska fans aren't as familiar with, but who are other players that will have an impact on whether national player of the year or helping their team make a run in the tournament? Who who should be on the radar nationally, player wise? Well, from top to bottom. So, like Wisconsin's got 
so many good players that they'll probably all split their votes, if you will. Um, Nebraska might do the same thing, you know, like in a so-called player of the year. Anna DeBeer from Louisville is a special player, you know, and as we're, you know, doing this Sunday evening, you know, it's a day when um, after Purdue played so well against uh, Nebraska, loses in a reverse sweep to Northwestern and Louisville just got beat by NC State, who, you know, um, so, you know, every time you think about, oh, I got this figured out, I don't, but Anna DeBeer, I don't know, I didn't look at her numbers from today, but she's, she's really special. Uh, Mimi Collier from Oregon, great, great player. You know, at Texas, they've got the same thing. Madison Skinner, the outside hitter, is having a spectacular year. Asia O'Neill, who's probably the best player in the country, hasn't really gotten into the mix for them. They're key, you know, other teams are uh, serving and keeping the ball away from her. And she's such a spectacular blocker and dynamic hitter. Um, you know, Asia, if we were having a player draft, you know, you might take Asia O'Neill first. Mm-hmm. You know? Lexi Rodriguez probably should be in consideration for national player of the year. She's, mm-hmm. she's Nebraska's best player who does the most things. And, and she's really, really good. And, and that's on a team that's, you know, pretty talent rich. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, uh, a lot of teams are just super well balanced. I mean, like I look at Pitt and there's nobody there who jumps out at me as a national player of the year, but wow, look how good you are. Um, and there's people you never pay attention to unless you're me and you're oh, going over every single box score every day. You know, just shoot me, but I do. But like Kaylee Cassidy from Tulsa leads the nation in kills. Who the heck is Kaylee Cassidy? Oh, um, Washington State, uh, Pia Timmer, the outside hitter, uh, Magda, and I am not even going to try to pronounce her last name. Uh, the middle, so, so good. Um, they, they're, uh, they're, they're both, um, national player of the year candidates. Oh, oh, and, uh, you know, Kennedy Martin from Florida, who's mm-hmm. a freshman has to be, you'd have to put her in the national player of the year discussion right now. Certainly her and Chloe Chacoin as your top freshman in the nation. And that's saying a lot with all the other freshmen. We just, I mean, Harper Murray's probably in that, in that conversation mm-hmm. too. Uh, Bergen Riley will be in that conversation. Um, you know, that, I thought that was pretty good off the top of my head right there. I got Absolutely. No, well, no, I mean, no. what 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 your answer tells me is is something that, that Lincoln and I have talked about a lot, which is the parity in this sport is just increasing. And there's more good players than there ever have been, which means there's more good talent to go around. And I, I want Lincoln and I to focus on this in a, in a future show a little bit more in depth. But we have you on, Lee, and I think you're a great person to ask about it. We see the Big Ten and the SEC becoming deeper conferences and not just with their caliber of players but I think also with their caliber of coaches and their caliber of facilities, the big 10 has been building um, sort of smaller, intimate venues that, that volleyball are homes in uh, the sec is going out and stealing coaches from the West coast, which I don't know you would have seen 10 years ago. I take Arkansas as an example. They're having a heck of a year and they hired Jason Watson from Arizona state. And this is still, uh, you know, the market in volleyball, you can kind of money whip a coach with an extra hundred thousand dollars a year. It's not like in football where you have to go out and spend an extra two million a year on a coach. And just with the deeper revenues we've seen from the Big Ten and the SEC from those media deals, are you seeing results of that just, you know, starting to trickle down into volleyball and maybe some of these other Olympic sports? You know, in your backyard, LSU is paying their women's basketball coach now, what, like two million dollars a year? I mean, oh, this I is still a million dollars a month. Um, you know, it could be, you know, I don't know, but like, it seems like it's trickling down into volleyball. Well, to your point about like, for example, the SEC next year gets Texas and Oklahoma, you know, and Texas is like the big elephant in the room for everybody in every sport. Cause it's the, 
you know, whether they win national championships in every sport or don't, they're still the keys to the kingdom. And Texas is, um, you know, UCLA and USC and Washington and Oregon all coming to the Big Ten and, you know, Stanford and Cal going to the ACC. I'm, I'm curious to see how that affects recruiting to your point about the, the coaches and stuff. But like in the SEC, which you mentioned, like uh, Jason Watson going to Arkansas, Brent Crouch went from USC to Auburn, Tom Black mm-hmm. went from Loyola Marymount to um, Georgia. Georgia. So like, and the, and the other side of it too, is that you talked about, well, the extra hundred thousand, it's way, way more than that. I'll never forget when, uh, so Caitlin Nielsen was an assistant coach at UCLA and she took a job at Kansas and she, she and her husband were, had reverse sticker shock because they went from LA to Lawrence, Kansas. And it was like, mm-hmm. I can't believe how much house we can buy now. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, if you're making head coach's salary in Auburn, Alabama, mm-hmm. you're, you're high on the hog mm-hmm. or we're in Fayetteville, Arkansas. You'd really be high <laughs> on the hogs. Thank you. I'll be here all week. But, uh, so th- those rural areas, you know, non non metropolitan areas that we're talking about have a big advantage from a from a financial end. You know, they may not have the uh, um, I, yeah, I don't know what housing prices are like in Lincoln, you know, but you have the NIL money you can attract kids with. But, you know, mm-hmm. you can attract coaches to the other areas because, you know. Yeah, that's, like it's not like you're, you're trying to get them a house in the Bay Area or the most expensive areas in the country. Right. And yet. To your point about the um, trickle down, like I was watching the Citadel before they just, they won today, go 16 and 0. They did everything they could to lose to Mercer. It was pretty good, but it, you know, as a, it's, they call it those leagues, mid majors, you know, the, the SOCON or the Big South, whatever. That, and I've always disputed that because to me, they're really like low majors, but the volleyball was good. It was a really good level of play. And I really enjoyed watching the match. And I might not have said that seven, eight, 10 years ago. It just would have been brutal, but they're, they're playing it with good athletes. Part of the, part of the trickle down too comes from uh, the COVID situation that we had. So you had, you had a lot of kids who might've gone here. And for those of you at home, I'm putting my hand up in the air and then lowering it one. Cause they had to go here because the scholarships then became unavailable at the higher level. Mm-hmm. Well, you take that all the way down. You might've, you've been um, little, little Sally might've been, um, thinking she was going to go to a second tier SEC school. And that offer disappeared because three kids stayed because they then became fifth and sixth year seniors. Well, then they might've ended up in the SOCON or the big South Mm. or the Southland. And, you know, I could go on with the whack and whatever, but, but you had a lot of that. So you got a lot of, a lot of um, conferences now that, are playing pretty good. And that's one of the reasons why we've seen so many upsets and so many close matches so far this year. Sure. Well, yeah. you mentioned uh, the Citadel. We'll get you out on a quick one here. Who was right. the last team standing? Got three undefeated left, Wisconsin, Nebraska, the Citadel. Who's going to be the last team standing in the unbeaten world? Um, I, you know, it would be so cool. I hope it's the Citadel. I hope the Citadel <laughs> can run the tape and go into the NCAA tournament where the Citadel will then get its first loss at a place like Nebraska. I was going to say they'd send them to like state college or something. Nebraska, Wisconsin play each other. Is it about three weeks from now in, in Lincoln? Mm -hmm. Yes. And then of course there's the day after Thanksgiving where I'm flying to Madison on Thanksgiving day in anticipation of a match that I'm sure will decide the big 10 championship. Um, I'm going to go with the Citadel. Put me on record. I'm going to go with the Citadel, especially because, they got a good chance. They don't play for a week. And then that, that conference is kind of weak. And, um, you know, either Wisconsin or Nebraska has to go down 
you know, just mm-hmm. because. And uh, but that'll be worth the price of admission, won't it? And you guys yeah. get in, but that'll be really fun. For sure. <laughs> awesome. Lee Feinswag of VolleyballMag.com is it editor and publisher. Is that your official title? Owner, guru? Publisher anymore since I now have partners and investors, but definitely, um, you know, editor and um, chief bottle washer. <laughs> and so you can you can read all the great stuff, including some of Lincoln's um, pieces at VolleyballMag.com. Be sure uh, if you're going to listen to this on Monday, the newly formed media poll comes out uh, on Monday and you have several more people to yell at, including Lincoln and Lee, if you don't like their votes. There you go. Hey, it was great hanging out with you guys. This is cool. I hope you have me back again before the season ends. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Thanks again to Lee Feinswag for talking with us about his look around the country and kind of what he saw from Nebraska this weekend, too. So we will quickly move to rotation four to talk about uh, what we saw from the rest of the country, some other matches uh, that happened and some other matches of significance. The first one, I think, like we said, we're recording this Sunday evening, just ended a couple hours ago, too. Uh, Louisville falls on the road to North Carolina State. That is the first program uh top five victory for uh nc state too and it wasn't particularly close i mean louisville did win that third set but nc state just dominated they looked like more aggressive the better team for the parts of the match that i saw they hit 338 uh, amanda rice uh just a good outside hitter uh she had 16 kills and hit 433 too so to me that's um, not a match you expect Louisville to lose, but they kind of went in there and uh, took care. Uh, they, 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 they fell down to uh, NC State. Yeah, NC State, that's a huge tournament resume win for them. And kind of like we talked about with Lee, you're starting to see the depths of these leagues develop. You know, we're going to see it in the SEC, um, the ACC. You know, it's not just it and Louisville kind of run a rough shot over everyone now. Yeah, NC State's uh, got a good team this year. Georgia mm-hmm. Tech, who, um, you know, I've feel like I've talked about every week on this show had to go five to beat Wake Forest. And they won this match in five, even though they had 10 fewer kills than Wake Forest. And they got it done from the service line with 11 aces and uh, blocking. They outblocked Wake Forest 17-12. But like Wake Forest is not a program you think is going to push a top 15 team to to five sets. I just say I give a shout out to uh, North Carolina State. One of their assistant coaches, Jeremiah, was they just a grad manager uh, in Nebraska a couple of years ago, too. So he's just starting his coaching career, assistant coach at NC State. But I used to see him at practice all the time. He used to give us a uh, big Packers fan, I believe. Or I heard <laughs> he, he, he made fun of Jacob, I think, for the uh, Packers fans. From the Packers to the Wolf Pack. Yeah. Uh, in the Big 12, Texas took care of business. Uh, two matches against BYU, um, both games in Austin. And I, I scratched my head last week at this. I didn't realize until the middle of the week. This is what the Big 12 is doing this year. They're playing two match series, at least until you get to November. So BYU had to go to Austin twice on Friday and Saturday. Texas won both matches 3-1. So Texas right now, uh, at least at, in the early going, looks like they're the class of the Big 12. Yeah, and, and both matches unfolded in very similar fashions. I mean, more so the first night when they played on Thursday night, uh, BYU just completely dominated Texas, uh, beat them by more than 10 points. I forget what Texas ended up with, but it was like, it was 22 to nine at one point. Texas yeah. had a little bit of run. I think there. it was like but 25, then, 14 in game yeah, one on Friday. Yeah, but then they just, Texas figured it out, won the next three sets and same thing happened both nights. BYU won the first one, Texas got their act together and then took control of the match. 
And here's my other darling team uh, of the season right now. We touched on it with Lee a little bit in the Pac-12. Washington State went up to Eugene and beat Oregon 3-1. This is the same Washington State team that went down to Texas and won in Austin earlier this year. Uh, it's going to be Washington State and Stanford, it looks like, um, for you know the, the heads-to-head in the Pac-12 to win the last Pac-12 title. Uh, if you're a fan, if you're not a fan of the college realignment stuff and you've got a soft spot, how could you not? be pulling for Washington state who is not going to be going to the ACC or the big 12. Uh, at least as, as we're recording this podcast right now, this stuff changes all the time. And so maybe there's news on Monday morning, but uh, Iman Isanovich, I believe is how you say it. Um, the outside hitter for Washington state had 14 kills to lead the Cougars. Washington state is 14 to one. And they've got that huge match coming up next Sunday where they're going to host Stanford. And, and the winner of that one might, will have the inside track for the last pac 12 title. Yeah, and Oregon. I don't. I don't count Oregon out of the uh, Pac-12 race too. I mean, they suffered the loss today too, but they're a very talented team. Uh, it was weird. Mimi Collier, another one of uh, Lee's Player of the Year contenders, struggled immensely today. She had ten kills, but fourteen errors just was off her game too. But Oregon has a lot of talent, uh, and, and should be in that discussion too. They man today's loss put them a step behind uh, Washington and Stanford, but that'll be exciting to watch that match next weekend. Uh, the other kind of- is uh, just in case our listeners are, are new to college volleyball is, is a great outs, uh, outside hitter for Oregon. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so the other big match uh, that uh, did on our radars too, Florida's finally propensity to, to kind of flirt with danger caught up with them too. They played their fifth straight five set match and finally uh, came out. I mean, not finally, but they fell short and uh, five sets to Texas A&M in Gainesville. So uh, that's the second loss of Florida this year. They also lost to Wisconsin uh, at home a couple weeks ago too, but uh, the five, they just, there's playing so many five, five uh, set matches too, that the unpredictability of that speed rest sprint to 15 points can couple bad points can change the tide in a hurry. So, uh, and then, and then Texas A&M turns around and loses at home on Sunday uh, to Missouri, the lost in Florida, Missouri. So, you know, you think you're flying high if you're uh, the Aggies and, and they can't pull off the the sweep on the weekend. So, I mean, all the leagues still still very up in the air early um, after the second weekend of conference play. Let's move into rotation five. And it's no longer about the, the results of this past weekend. This is the first week that Jordan Larson joined Nebraska full time as an assistant coach. And I know she didn't make the trip. Uh, to Indiana this weekend. But this is a super interesting story to me. And this was kind of before the matches, Lincoln. This was the Nebraska volleyball story of the week is Jordan Larson is now in practices. And I think it's fascinating because not only are you adding a new voice and a new presence to a program in the middle of the season, but it's not just anyone. It's the maybe the most famous Nebraska volleyball player of all time. So I have to think that you hear and feel uh, her instruction, her feedback, her critique differently. Yeah. And and I think it's going to be incredibly interesting to see, you know, what this does, how this affects either positively or negatively the environment, the chemistry of this program to, to bring in a new assistant in the middle of the year and, and have it be someone who's incredibly famous, I guess, let's just put it that way. Um, I don't know that it's a slam dunk that it, everything is all, you know, the, goes you know, without any kind of potholes in this. Yeah. And I think Nebraska knew what it was getting itself into when it hired Jordan Larson announced that in early June, that she was going to be committed to the national team and still play and wait for the world 
uh, Olympic, sorry, the Olympic qualifiers, which just ended last week. Uh, so I, I think they knew what knew the schedule and there, it sounds like Jordan was very intentional about working with the teams, whether it was zooms or making herself available via text and just starting that dialogue with it to help kind of avoid that awkwardness and make her just be one of the game. We, I asked Lindsay Krause, what does she call her? Is it, is it coach Larson? Is it Jordan? Like, oh, it's, it's, all the assistant coaches are Jordan or by their first name. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that that shows a little bit of the dynamic, but it's like you said, her, she has banners hanging up on the rafters. She's very, uh, famous i mean not just nebraska volleyball players but she's probably one of the more famous volleyball players of anybody in the world right well and and all these play all, all of the current nebraska players will tell you you know if, if they were from nebraska if they're a nebraska native that she was an idol of theirs growing up and so you can you can hear the things that she will tell you kind of with emotional extremes i would imagine if jordan larson is telling you hey you had a great practice today or you had a great match today i really like what you're doing you're going to be on cloud nine. That's going to mean more to you than maybe anyone else hearing that from. And on the other side, if she's telling you, Hey, you got to pick this up or I expect more out of you, or, you know, you need to do better for your team. Then having your idol tell you that is going to, you know, you could feel that a lot differently. You could, you could get really down hearing that. And so the old sports cliche Lincoln is that the best players don't always make the best coaches. Jordan is, is very young in her coaching career. She has not, I think, I don't believe she has spent a full season as an assistant coach in a program. And so as great as a player as she is and was during her prime and what she's meant to the sport of volleyball, this is a this is a new thing for her. And and there's no training wheels that you can have on an assistant coach by bringing them in in the middle of the season. So I'll be really interested to see how she communicates with the player. You know, Michael Jordan's tenure as a as an assistant coach or when he was basically an assistant coach late in his career was not good uh, the way he communicated with some of his younger teammates and you know john cook has weighed all of these variables and factors and is going to be a coaching mentor to her as well but i if anyone sits here right now and says we know how this is going to go we know that this is going to be 100 percent positive i i don't think you can do that no, I mean, yeah, you talk about she's a very limited. I think she, she, I believe she helped out with the Pepperdine men's team uh, when mm-hmm. she was kind of, I mean, she helped out as much as she could when she was training for the national team and playing professionally. Uh, yeah, last year, she had a short stint with the University of Texas as a volunteer assistant mm-hmm. uh, before leaving that. And then kind of last, and then last fall, she helped around, did, did a bunch of clinics, helped out with Elkhorn North, uh, their volleyball program. But I mean, doesn't have a lot of on bench experience too. So, and, and Cook kind of mentioned that last week as well too that they're still trying to figure out what her role will be and how she can contribute. Mm-hmm. So what I mean, so Jeff, what do you think ways that she what what areas can she provide a different perspective than yeah. what already exists on the coaching staff? Well, she's the only she's the only person on that staff who played. Um, outside hitter, right? So yeah. she, you would think, obviously, she's going to have a lot to add um, perspective on on how Nebraska's outsides and pin hitters are not only attacking, but she was a great server. She was a great defender. She has experience in all these areas, and so she can provide a great perspective for that. But knowing how to do something and being able to teach it and explain it and motivate someone to do it are, are two very different things. So I think you know the best case scenario on this is she's able to 
translate her experience as a great attacker, an attacker who honestly at the at the international level was not a physically dominant one. She was not just jumping up and hitting balls over people. That's not what Jordan Larson did. She was a great shot maker. I mean, they still call some of the shots that Nebraska hits in practice, like Jordy shots, like the Jordy rolls, uh, you know, an off speed shot hit tight to the net. I think they were, they called it the Jordy roll shot. And so she can show you how to hit a bunch of different shots. Um, she could probably show you how to do some serving, even though they changed Jordan Larson's serve at the international level. She was no longer this corkscrew jump server like she was at Nebraska. And, and she was an excellent defender too. So she's able to work with Harper Murray and Merritt Beeson, Nebraska's outsides that are playing six rotations. Um, so I think that's the best case scenario. Yeah. And I think that's what she really can bring to it. I mean, she's been kind of an, an elder statesman on the national team for the last couple of years too. I mean, even on that, the 2020, the 2020 Olympic team, which was 2021, uh, she was one of the older players on that team too. And she kind of has that, uh, I don't know that air about her that she knows what she's talking about. And, but, and I think that what lends itself to this working or it could work is that she, she's not the most physically overwhelming. She had to work on her craft and figure out mm-hmm. the, the craft and the, the, the technical aspects of it too. So I think that works in her favor too. Um, but uh, everyone wants to, everyone wants Nebraska to jump serve. She's probably not going to teach that. I asked her about that last week and she said <laughs> uh, a lot of people aren't jump serving very much, especially on the international level, too. Unless like Indiana, who had a couple of jump it, servers, was most, jump servers. Ag- most yeah. aggressive serving team I've seen in college volleyball in a long time. Uh, the other factor, too, with Jordan Larson is, you know, just like any workplace, right? You bring in someone uh, new to a workplace. It's how does how's the culture fit with their other coworkers? So. You know, Kelly Hunter and Jalen Reyes have been assistants on this team for a couple of years now. They have a new voice in the room, um, a new voice contributing to film study, a new voice contributing to conversations in, in the ready room and on court. And just like where she finds her places to step forward and step back um, is going to take a little bit of time, just like it would in any office. Yeah. If you bring in a new employee, you know, is she deferential at first to the other assistants and to, to John Cook or is she going to jump in right away and take ownership over a position group? I think that's all stuff that is going to get worked out organically, but, but however long it does, I don't think anyone really knows yet. Yeah. And the good part about it is too, it's another voice in the room too. And Nebraska hasn't, didn't have a graduate or sorry, a volunteer assistant last year. Um, and it's another full-time assistant that could spend talking to those outside hitters and figuring out uh, what they can do too, rather than John Cook. And it's going to free up John Cook to focus more big picture and, do his motivational things he does uh, and, and just kind of help, help him focus on the mental side of things maybe and getting the team ready for the, ready for the road ahead too. So, but it, it, it there's a lot of question marks, a lot of uncertainty. We'll figure out uh, what it's going to look like here soon. Hope we'll see if she's even going to travel again to, to go to the Michigan matches and see if she's on the bench for that too. We haven't seen Jordan Larson in game coach yet too. So there's a lot of question marks. We'll learn as the match goes on. Uh, speaking of that, we'll, we'll go to our rotation six. Nebraska plays another goes on another road trip. This time they're going a little bit further north and making the uh, the double dip through the state of Michigan. They will play Michigan State on Friday night at 6 p.m. on BTN Plus. Uh, Michigan State's 10 and four this year, two and one in the Big Ten. So they're a little bit. The record I think is maybe a little better quality of what they are. And then on Saturday they will take on Michigan at 7:30 p.m. on BTN. Uh, they're just two and eleven this year, struggling a little bit as they kind of go through a full program rebuild under first year coach Aaron Virtue. Jeff, what uh, 
What are you expecting looking at the matches this weekend? Yeah, I think this is definitely a step down in terms of caliber of competition from from Purdue and Indiana, who I think are both upper half um, Big Ten schools this year. I think Michigan and Michigan State are both in the lower half of the Big Ten this year. Uh, certainly Michigan, who's had all kinds of struggles. You know, they, they lost Jess Merzik from the in the transfer portal to Penn State this year. This is definitely a rebuilding year. And then, as we talked about last week, Aaron Virtue, their new head coach, is an assistant coach on the national team. I believe she's the setters coach. For Karch Karai. And so she's been away from the team during um, Olympic qualifying. So she comes back. Michigan's 2 11. Uh, Michigan State, you know, has a nice record, uh, but you look at their opponents, uh, they have not played uh, a real meat grinder of a non conference schedule. They're 10 and 4. They do have a really good freshen, freshman, um, Amaya Holdem, I believe is her name. She is one of the best um, in hitter freshmen in the Big Ten. So that's going to be a player that Nebraska has to um, keep an eye on. But um, some of these matches that Nebraska's taken played in years past at Michigan State have been, you know, real snake pits. And I, I don't know that I would expect Nebraska to face that on Friday. But like John Cook is always saying, every win you can get in the Big Ten is a good win. Interestingly, this is going to be a match that a lot of Husker fans are probably going to be maybe tuning in on their laptop while they've got Nebraska's football game against Illinois. Um, on which starts an hour later, but it's the first time this year that that football and volleyball really go head to head. Yeah, and the other thing it'll be a nice homecoming trip for Harper Murray. She is an Ann Arbor native, uh, grew up there. Uh, her dad played football for uh, the Michigan Wolverines, and her older sister uh, Kendall p- currently plays for Michigan as well uh, as as a, as a attacker for the Wolverines. So, kind of, I imagine she'll be have a lot of family and supporters uh, in in the stands to watch her. Probably for both because it's probably it's not that long a drive from Ann Arbor to East Lansing and you know, watch one or watch them both. They're expected to have a lot of family friends in the uh, in the stands in the Ann Arbor on Saturday. They've asked all of the family to uh, to wear white so that they could be cheering for both Michigan and Nebraska. And so, you know, a lot of times when you, a player goes to play um, either their home state school or in a, in a location near their hometown, they get a little tight. It'll be interesting to see how uh, Harper Murray responds to playing across the net from from her older sister. So that's our six rotations this week. Once again, you can find us uh, on Twitter at Volleyball Pod. You can email the show at VolleyballState at gmail.com. You can find me on social media at by Jeff Sheldon. And Lincoln, where can they find you? You can can find me at Lincoln underscore VB. You can also read my articles on HuskersIllustrated.com. Occasionally, I will also write for volleyballmag.com but huskers illustrated is where you find most of them uh, and also if you're interested in sponsoring the program feel free to reach out by email we're still sort of figure out this but we got a pretty good audience people that are interested in volleyball uh hit us up at volleyballstate at gmail.com and uh if you're interested in getting your, getting your business uh, in front of a lot of volleyball fans we're open to it and we we appreciate the support of of all the listeners you know we had 2,000 downloads of our nebraska uh nebraska versus stanford kentucky episode Others have gotten over a thousand. And what that tells me is that you guys are giving us a chance. You love listening to people talk about volleyball. You're a big volleyball fan. And so you respect that. You know, we're trying to create this space to focus on women's sports, to focus on the fastest growing sport in the country. And if you will, if your business wants to support what we're doing here and help us to continue to grow this community, you know, reach out to us, uh, slide into our DMs on Twitter, email volleyballstate at gmail.com. We will hook you up with the good, good people at Podcast House Media and get a conversation going to see how we can make you and your business uh, a part of what we're doing here. Thanks for listening and uh, have a good week and keep living in the volleyball state.